lifepodcasts.fm. This podcast is a Prime Media Broadcasting production. People are reshaping the mindset of the masses. Africa State of Mind. My guest on today's episode of Africa State of Mind has a story that is the epitome of the African dream. In my opinion, every single African child needs to hear this story because it proves that despite what is going on in your life, there is always hope and there's a great destiny and purpose in line for you. So his journey in music started as a way of his parents giving him a way to escape and give balance to his life. Balance because it was just supposed with going to school on a school bus with him and his schoolmates counting dead bodies on the way. Way to school, chilling. Coming from a from a small town in Goma in the DRC, which is Democratic Republic of Congo, he had a long walk to freedom. Literally about two and a half months to be exact from the Democratic Republic of Congo to South Africa. He went from being a car guard to topping music charts in Italy, South Africa and Japan. And he's an award winning artist. He's just got the most incredible life and whoever would have thought and imagined. I'm totally inspired by him and I hope that you are going to be too. He's a definition also of African excellence. Please help me welcome Trezor. Bonjour. Bonjour, bonjour. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. Welcome. It's so exciting to be like chatting. Like off air, I was busy talking. I'm like, I know this person. You're like, they're my brother. They're my brother. I'm like, it's my brother. It's my people. Yeah, no. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen your name. I've seen your face so many times. And it's really great to finally meet you. Great to finally meet you. Now, uh, Trezo, your story has been told um, specifically through South Africa. People really know your story quite well, quite a lot, you know. Um, I did want to, I know that you are always telling it, but I also think that just with regards to a lot of the things that are happening in the continent now, like we see what's going on in Sudan and everything, mm-hmm. that hopefully that your story is going to give some hope and light to people. Oh, yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about just your upbringing um, and what that was like. Because um, from what I understand, your parents were pharmacists, but they were hardworking people. So you're not saying that you were quite part of the bourgeoisie, but they were the working class that worked hard. That's correct. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a very small town, as you said, called Goma. Mm-hmm. Um, with a, there's a beautiful volcano eruption right to the north of it. Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. It's very green. And there's a lake next to it, and it's it's very small. So we pretty much know each other, mm. um, and nothing is as crazy as a kid living in that city, going into the world and really facing the world as yeah. ever happened. We always grew up there, have your degree, no job, yeah. get married. <laughs> Die. That's it. Don't go anywhere. You know, so um, it's very sad um, uh, circle, but I've been really fortunate enough that um, I had really incredible parents that sent me to good primary and secondary school mm. that really, really worked very hard. They came from very modest families. Mm. Um, and um, I think um, grand, grand, growing up in Goma really gave me the foundation I needed to be um, the man I am today. I mean, despite all the uh, armed conflicts that happened around yeah. the cities, um, d- despite um, the um, volcano eruption, as well as the effect aftermath of the Rwandan genocide, mm. uh, which pretty much spilled into the region where mm. I come from. Um, I think most of us, being very young, we, we saw some of the most craziest thing um, an eight-year-old, seven or six-year-old could ever imagine. And I think for me, it caught up with me very late in life, when I was like in my twenties, mm. um, mm. where I just start to realize how crazy what we saw as kids, um, mm. um, and um, I'm here. Um, yeah. We've traveled very, very, very long journey, but I'm also very, very inspired by where I come from, mm. the resilience, um, and most importantly, 
um, how strong and unbreakable the spirit of the people um, that really um, um, give us life. Yeah, I think that that is so, I mean, just that story in the way that you place put it is the way that most Africans are. It's like against all odds. It's like the story of resilience and how it is actually possible, you know, mm. um, more than anything else. So I'm just like, I'm even getting goosebumps because I know that your story will resonate with so many um, people across the board. So you, so there were seven of you in the family. That's seven correct. Seven of us in my family. Yeah. Hey, I'm saying, you see, like, <laughs> but um, I, I also just, I imagine that you're possibly, or you were possibly the most mischievous one. Pretty I'm much. Correct. <laughs> so I grew up with five sisters. I have five wow. sisters. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, I'm like the first. My, my parents um, had like about seven kids. Mm. Um, and I'm like the first the first son. Um, I have a little brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've always was full of it. You know, yeah. always um, had a problem at school. <laughs> Uh, always like ran away from home to play in bands, <laughs> you know, always <laughs> been the crazy one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And even just talking about running away, I think it's quite fascinating because for me, for example, I can't imagine doing things and not like my older brother and sister not knowing. I think that I would be whipped, you know, if I just did anything. But you just woke up while well, you planned. I think it was after three years of praying. You had like a prayer program. That's correct. Yeah. And then Where did you read all this? Listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> yeah, the three-year prayer program. Amen. No. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, then you just woke up one day and you pretty much left. You never told your family. Yeah. So, um. So I mean, they they so much that happened between like um. I mean, I grew as I said, I grew up in a very modest family. Mm. Um, we had a massive uh, life-shifting event that happened in 2001. Um, there was a volcano eruption which pretty much burned 60% of the city. So oh being is, yeah. um, we lost, and a lot of things in back home is like our parents build our homes cash. They pay for it. Yeah. Uh, there's not really any savings oh, uh, system back yeah. home. Um, so people, are, when they, they deposit money in a bank, it's like physical. So you have to go back to the bank and get your money back. So there's not any banking system where you can access your money in Durban or mm-hmm. access your money in, in, in a small, other small city. So that really destroyed a lot of um, the system within like... Um, the financial system and where I come from, and uh, it really affected our lives. We we came from a really cool, good living situation to like going extremely poor, like in twenty four hours. That's crazy. Um, like, uh, from a, when time I was very young, my my dad always had this this thing of really making sure I wear good clothes and good shoes mm. and good watches and you know like in not like crazy but really like you could see that I was we were really well looked after. And, you know, the reality kicked in when the following week after, the, like, the following few months, because the volcano eruption happened, and it's it took uh, quite a few months for the lava to kind of cool down. Mm. Um, and you just start getting people bringing clothes in, like, plastic bags, like kids from, like, families that you possibly could never imagine could actually help you. Mm. Um, and, you know... Eventually, in within the next two years, I lost both my parents Sorry and moved in with um, our uncle. So our family of seven got divided, myself and 
um, three three of my siblings moved in for one of our uncles. And knowing how you know African family operates, so our bu- our parents' business actually got split between the siblings and eventually running down. Um, so like there was a tug of war for your yeah, parents' of course. business. Yeah, typical um, story. Yeah, yeah it's, it was a very sad story. Mm. But everybody, we eventually ended up being some of our siblings at my my parents' friends. Me and my uncle, my sister, Deborah, who actually came to visit me for the first time since I left home about a month ago, yeah. um, was studying medicine at that time. So that's how I started to play a lot of shows in local hotels and, and stuff so I could pay for her medical studies wow. fees. Um, and eventually, after I finished my school, uh, got my metric, I kind of had this urge that there's no way that I can contain this whole massive thing that I have in me, which is the vision of trying to ignite a whole different kind of hope that you can be a kid from wherever you come from and be able to reach any high level you set yourself to to reach uh, to reach for. Um, so I left, I remember very well, I left my city in July 2nd, 2007. Mm. It was very hard because I... I've never gone away from my family for without knowing that I'll be back. You know, I was very young, mm-hmm. um, and I couldn't. I just, I just didn't have the strength to say goodbye. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just you knew what that would do. Yeah, I didn't. I, and also, yeah. to be honest, I was very. I was very naive. Mm-hmm. I was very innocent. I just had this thing. I don't know what it was. I just mm-hmm. had this drive. I had this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I don't be, I don't, I would say people, I don't believe none of this thing that has happened in my life, um, which I felt still like very, very early, still very, mm-hmm. um, has been my undoing. It's been more than, I think, a purpose. There's, there's, I believe I've been used as a tool or mm-hmm. purpose to like ignite and inspire a lot of kids mm-hmm. that come from a situation that come from, and yeah, I, I couldn't really say goodbye. I just put my things together and left. And my family hated me for that for a long time. So so the first step of the journey, like, because in my mind, I'm just like, you know, because we're, we're talking about this and it's a lot, Trezor. It's the, the genocide. And I know a lot of people when we in general, I'm, unless if you're from the particular Central East African region, nobody would understand the impact of the genocide, not just on Rwanda, but on Burundi and the DRC. It was huge, you know, Mm -hmm. because the focus is normally just on what happened in Rwanda. So just that mentally, and I can't even just imagine looking outside and seeing dead bodies. I I can't even look at one dead body now at my age. I can't imagine as a child. And then, you know, having a stable family life and then your parents passing away and dealing with all of that, you know, um, then the volcano and just losing everything. It's, it's quite a lot, you know. So do you think that all of the things that happened were kind of a catalyst so that the day that you decided that this is the time when you're going to leave, you're like, I've already seen, I've seen what I never thought I would see? Uh, more than anything, I believe we, we all as human beings have our own journeys that... Mm somehow without us knowing have been prepared for us to walk through um and a lot of time i used to ask myself like why am i here why Mm. am i in this position why am i in this room Mm. why why did i have to go through the whole journey coming to south africa and why did i have to start so low Mm. or uh why am i in this position where I just get to be given so much love when you feel like you don't deserve it, you know. 
Um, and I feel like everything, to be honest, everything that has happened in life has been um, a massive, obviously, um, learning um, journey for me. Um, as a young kid, like going through everything, some of the things we didn't really register, I personally I didn't register until I was really old. And the craziest thing is that I, I just have the, 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 the um, opportunity to be able to express my experience as a kid that grew up in Congo during the Rwandan genocide. Mm. There are so many of us. Some of them became child soldiers. Some of them couldn't really make it, became alcoholics. Some of them mm. wouldn't really have lost the mind, uh, you know. And and I've been given, obviously, this opportunity and this uh, platform, and I believe I have to use it very wisely to be able to express and 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 um being able to just share uh the journey of a lot of people that really did not have the chance to be able to um yeah. and everything for sure is 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 um, for a purpose and i don't take it lightly the fact that i get to be given um the okay. platform yeah. to share the story you know, I'm talking to you. You remind me of Kenan, you know, from Somalia because yes, I interviewed yes. him the one time, and it's it's um, your stories are so similar, and even just the way that you talk about life and and the way that you see your opportunities, it's exactly the same. I feel as though you're like almost. It's just weird. So I was having this flash in my mind. I'm Thank like, you. wow, it's like the same kind of um, spirit. Let me say, um, you know, so uh, so. Okay, I still can't get past this two and a half months of just going through because I'm like, I can't even walk for like an hour. <laughs> it is actually so crazy enough. It's like combined, it was about four months, four, five four months. months. Yeah, it's, it's four, it's a, like a four, four hour flight trip, you know. Um, so you, wait, you walk, so you, what countries did you go through? So it's crazy. So I, in between, I stopped. So I, the first place I went because we have a boat that was Rwanda. Yes. At that time, I've recorded a demo in Kigali before. Yeah. Um, I went back and spent like two weeks in Kigali. I'm yeah. recording videos. Remember, this time I'm very young. I like, yeah. I'm pro- probably 18, 17, 18, 17. Um, I'm very young. Um, I've just recorded my first demos. Now I'm looking at how am I going to shoot a video. Mm. So I found someone to shoot a video with. We traveled to Bujumbura. Right. Oh my gosh. So I spent like maybe a week or two in Bujumbura trying like everything in, in Africa was very slow. Like yes. there's no like everything's really like when it comes to tech, there's no like okay, cool, DOP, lights, like everything is really people take the time. Yeah. Shoot a video. And then I think for me the worst travel experience started with me from Bujumbura going into Tanzania. That was like I've never been on a train before. So yeah. when they say we're gonna take a train from Dodoma or Kigoma, which is close to Burundi yeah. into Dar es Salaam, I've got excited. And became probably the worst trip of my life in that part, that trip, because we got put in these caravans that were, I was, I got given like the, the to- toilet section. What? So I was standing for like, almost standing for like three, three days with my guitar and my bag. In the it's, toilet section? Yeah. It's like, and it's, it, it was like, um, so many people in one caravan, like so many, like everybody was like, literally, it was very hard to even move. And mm-hmm. the people on top of the train and they were, they're not they're not mirrors so people are sticking out the train i mean there's no uh windows or there's not really it was more of like a, a cargo train a, a moving tin pretty a much tin. you know and i won't lie it was very horrible extremely yeah. um and i started seeing really my life flashing i'm like if 
um, so many times I wanted to go back, but I don't. I keep telling myself, there's no way. Yeah. I'd rather move forward than really going back. And um, the traveling experience was horrible. They, I mean, it took about three days, I think, to get mm. to Dar es Salaam. Mm. Um, I spent a bit. I ran out of money in uh, in, in um, Dar es Salaam. I spent a bit of time. So all those, the time spending in between there. Mm. Um, eventually, I got a bit of money um, and started the journey from. I got offered actually a deal in Dar es Salaam, mm. uh, but this company that I was doing. I think, I don't know if you know, you knew a guy called Mr. Nice at that time. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, I got offered a deal, but I, I keep telling myself, I want more. Yeah. You know, I want I want something bigger that can be able to give me um, uh, an opportunity to be, to be on a global stage. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I start my journey from Dar es Salaam into Malawi. Um, and that's where I think everything that has to do with like lost my papers I got robbed and started like um going through rivers and walking into parks from Malawi um wait so you were swimming through rivers yeah it's but it's do a whole rivers crazy. not have rivers have crocodiles and stuff it's all crazy it all, so so i mean do rivers have crocodiles so have uh, we travel in the bus from Dar es Salaam yeah. to the border of Malawi for like 24 hours yeah when i got there I had, I remember I had like about $600 in my pocket, in my mm. wallet. Remember I'm young, I have a bag and also very naive. So I went to the, um, try and pay for a visa. They're like, no, you're supposed to pay for a visa back in Dar es Salaam. So pull me in a room. I got robbed of my money. What? I bought, given my passport and said, you got you have to go back. Now I have no money to go back. So I slept at the border for the first time. Long. Remember, I come from a not rich family, but from a care family. Mm. So the first time I ever experienced it, uh, like being homeless was like the border of Tanzania and Malawi. So I slept on um, on the bags of rice outside. Like it's a huge, it's a huge, huge border post. No, like everybody is knocked off. I'm there on my own. I was so tired. So I really literally passed out. So the next day, um, I got given notice to leave the border post, so I left and I bumped into this guy who called himself Peter Tosh. He was from um, Tanzania. <laughs> Not the Peter Tosh, no, but... No, yeah. it was a Rasta guy, but a really yeah. sweet guy. Yeah. Really, if I could yeah. see him, I really would thank him a lot. Mm. Um, and now uh, everybody was warned that, you know, I've been robbed, so I'm very, very, very cautious and not really nice. Um, and so he helped move my bags and went back and they like, listen, for the only way you can do is sell your clothes and they sell your guitar. So I hold on to my guitar tied. I sold pretty much everything I had, my shoes, anything for a dollar or two. Mm. Um, and that's how I start my journey. And we start walking from, so I went back into Tanzania and that house started crossing borders illegally. So we walked for um, a couple of days until we found the right place to cross. So I went through these crazy rivers that yes, they do have crocodiles in. Um, I didn't know though. I only oh. found out midway because I was making a lot of noise. He, they, this is a funny story. So he, uh, before we crossed, after I'm really, really tired, he's like, um, you need to take your clothes off and get into the river. So I'm thinking, but you told me the, the river was ankle deep. He's like, yeah. you don't, you, we don't try to argue here. Like, you know, I don't know this guy. So I'm worried this guy might just like kill me yeah. or, you know, a really sweet guy. Um, 
So I got into the river, but water, like water, like get up to like my neck. Mm. Um, so I'm sat, I'm being mad, and I'm like, "Yo, dude, you told me like, dude, keep down. Like we, are, this is the time where normally crocodiles are not here because they get hunted. So if you do actually, and I've never heard my heart beat so fast. Um, but eventually, we met on the other side and had a few had a few people in the nearby village that really looked. So he literally dropped me in this village and went back. Um, and the people are really kind. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just with your journey, what is it that you that you feel that you learned the most about yourself and about just the continent and just the nature of people? I think. What would you say the lesson is that you the, learned? The, the most I learned first about myself is that I was very, I had a very re- resilient spirit, and despite all the circumstances, there was. A beaming light that really kept me going, mm. which was pretty much my dream, mm. and that the same beaming light still kept me going today. Yeah. It, um, and the people, I don't think there's any. Uh, I've never experienced any kindness from strangers anywhere else around the world and in Africa. In Africa, um, yeah. I've never ever mm. like I, I. The poorest, poorest of people looked after me when they didn't know which language I was talk, speaking, mm. where I came from. They gave me a place to sleep, mm. um, food when they didn't have enough. Mm. Um, and for me, that really still humbles me today mm. to never, ever underestimate or look down upon anyone. Yeah, sure. I really like, yeah, I like just the way that you phrase that. It really is so important. And it's true that within Africa, we often forget because people always speak about the bad, you know, or the things that are challenging, let me say. But we forget that the, the strongest, I think the biggest resource that we have as Africans are people and just this kindness and this love regardless, you know. Um, so let's let's kind of fast forward into just the music that you're making at the moment. I mean, you're literally, uh, you've pretty much defined in some sort of way or created a new genre unto its own, you know, where it's kind of like, uh, so you use let me say like pop uh, kind of lyrics and everything, but you put, you have like African undertones, so to speak, which is awesome because everybody for the longest time is like, what is African pop music? What is it? What is it? And you are it. So just, um, just getting, getting that sort of thing and being recognized around the world. What is that kind of feeling for you? And, and, and what do you think it is about your sound that kind of sticks out? Um, I think most importantly, the first thing is I stay true to myself Mm. Um, and as an artist, uh, I believe it's very important for us to be bold with, with the music and never create from a place of being um, trying to not confirm. Um, I mean, uh, trying to um, trying to be put in a box, or um, as well as just trying to be part of the wave, the new wave that is going on. Just mm-hmm. trying to follow trends. And for yeah. me, more than anything, I've always had a strong sense to start my own path. And follow it through. It's the longest route, though. Um, uh, I've been fortunate enough that there's been great response for it. Um, although I feel it's still very early. Um, mm. It's only the beginning. I yeah, agree. very. But mm. I'm very excited because the response for it has been great here. Mm. We're in very good talks with mm. some really incredible companies in the mm. States mm. and UK. And that, for me, which is very exciting. It's, it's, it's different to what is happening with African music. Uh, it's not Afrobeat. It's not. It's not anything 
there is happening around the world or with African um, African music, but it's it's finding its own place um, mm-hmm. in the popular culture, which for me is very important. Now, can I ask? I know that with my dad and everything, music that came out of DRC. Oh my gosh! Like the whole yeah. of East Africa. Like you guys were <laughs> basically everybody wanted to be Congolese. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. I remember going to parties, like you know, as a child, and my dad and everything. Nobody wanted to go home. They just danced into this music. I'm like. Guys, please, you know. <laughs> so how much do you feel? And, and now we don't see um, the influence of Congolese music as much as what it was before, you mm. know. What are your thoughts around all of that? And how much do you feel that uh, your, your Congolese heritage has played in your sound? I think the Congolese heritage has really played a massive, massive role into the artist I am today. Mm. I mean, I spent a lot of time with Lokua Kanza. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, like he's <laughs> okay. he's like one of my best friends and also yeah. mentor. I met him when I was very, uh, very, very young in my hometown, and everybody was panicking. Yeah. Did you meet him? Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time with Brad Hugh. Uh, wow. He was very, very uh, two years before he passed on, and really uh, instilled a lot of knowledge, a lot of love, and mm. that really changed who I am as an artist. Um, and I believe he spent a lot of time in Congo. Actually, he spent mm, like uh, yeah. he he was very passionate. But about Brahu Congo. loved he he loved Congo. He loved Africa. He yes. spent so much time. So in, and, yeah. and 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 for me, to be honest, I feel like whether Nigerian music winning globally, whether it Congolese, it's all an imprint of African mm. music mm. on a global stage. Mm. So um, everything has its season. There was a time there was Brenda Fassi, Von Chaka yes, Chaka. Yes. Um, like I think the wave moves. Yes. You know. Um, Right now, it's all about obviously Afrobeats from yeah. Nigeria and Ghana. Um, they're doing incredibly well. Mm. Yeah, like in the early 90s, it was like the golden era for Congolese music as well as mm. South African music. And I feel like the circle is still going to go around. We don't mm. know. Maybe next is Zambian or yes. Ugandan. Um, yes. And it, it's all an African imprint. I think what I personally am very particular about is that we always have to package our music the best way. Um, so. We can't we can't be too too bling or Americanized than American music itself. Mm. You know, um, that's the only I think comment I've. But musically, I'm very excited. I think it's a very exciting time for mm. African music. It's very um, um, it's 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 thrilling to see the response that African music is getting on the global stage. Yes. And every single time, I would say every single time an African song or charts or plays on the radio in the U.S., people don't understand, but it opens a certain sonic sphere mm. to the listeners, to, to a different kind of African music. So every time Davido plays, every time Nico and Vince plays, every time Whiskey plays, every time Fela plays, mm. there's one, two, three, four, hundred more people that mm. get to be introduced to a different kind of sonic sphere, mm. paving a way for hundreds of other kids yeah. that will be coming next. Can I actually ask, when you mentioned Nico and Vince, when I listen to your music, I kind of feel that, I almost think that, have you guys like collaborated the, or something? Yeah, those do, you my, get, do you get told this a lot that you guys my, seem... Those are my boys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I can, you, you seem like you have the same kind of... Yeah. yeah. Like, I think for me, to be honest, I'm still, I was rooting for them when they had that big song. I was like, yeah. he, is, he is breakthrough because their music is different. Very different. You know, yeah. and also they... The way they shaped the music at that time was African pop, but with a global appeal, mm. without having to really um, compromise on mm. the identity of where they come from, you know. Mm. Um, and I appreciate, I appreciate what they've done. I felt they still have an incredible chance to Definitely. be able to, yeah. to push the music further. Mm. Um, and I'm excited. They're really incredible. Yeah. 
So you have uh, written for um, Zahara, and and I believe at the time that you were writing for her, she was one of the biggest acts in Africa, actually. Yes, that's correct. So you are the person, yes. just so people know. <laughs> um, you also p- performed to a crowd of like 60,000 people, I believe it was in Italy. So it took six weeks for your song to go from, from you know, to number one in Italy. Um, you also have obviously won a lot of awards uh, in South Africa, and you obviously well-traveled by foot and otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> you Good know, you're, you're, you're officially the, the epitome of well-traveled. Next time somebody says, I said, no, me, I've not traveled. I was like, I don't yeah. have that. But now for you, you know, um, what do you, what do you feel like, what do you want to do next? And how do you want your legacy in music to be? I know it's early to be talking about legacy, but based on everything that you have done, how do you, when people think of Trizor, what do you want them to think? You know, Thank you so much. I appreciate I appreciate the question. I think more than anything, um, I'm grateful for the journey. Yeah. I still, for some reason, as I say, I still feel like, yo, are we here? No, we're actually not yet. Are we you here know? Yet? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's the journey is crazy, and I, it's crazy seeing from my eyes how it's been unfolding. I felt like all the pieces of the the puzzle are coming together. Yes. Um, and as I said earlier, like, I think one of the biggest highlights of my Journey as an artist so far has been spending a lot of time with Brahu, mm. who obviously still up until today the only ever artist to have a global number one in 1967 or 68. Crazy. And, you know, he just told me, man, I think you're going to do it. Yeah. You know, you're going to be next. And my, more than anything, personally, I want to be remembered as an artist that really came and ignited a whole different kind of sense of mm-hmm. hope and inspiration for yeah. kids. and went on to take African pop music to a new level. Um, and every time there are so many people that inspires to 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 um, to reach for more, to be more than we are. And I think one of them being, of course, Trevor Noah, mm. um, watching his story every time. For people, it's like, you know, I don't think people realize how crazy the how jump was. Yes. You know, um, and. I've spent a lot. I, I think I did an interview with Anelle not long a t- long time ago, mm. and and we had that moment where she's like, "I think that's your path," you know. Mm. And for me, to be honest, it's Trevor Noah up there. There's a purpose mm. why he's there. I feel like everybody get chosen mm. to be put in a place, and never dare to forget why you get you put in that place, you know. And that pretty much the purpose. It's just you're just a a beaming light to spark a whole new generation. Yeah of leaders um, and that pretty much I think what I hope my legacy will turn out to be. Now to ask you a serious question, right? Um, Obviously in Sudan, people are going through, I mean, what is happening and what's happened in the last, I suppose specifically the last two weeks has just been crazy, you know? Um, And like we've mentioned that as much as that there's all these amazing things happening around the continent, we still have a situation where a lot of young people are dealing with quite a lot. If you were president of Africa, let's assume you had this position, right? And you were a leader and you could make a decision that would kind of change where it is that we were going, specifically when it comes to dealing with children in conflict situations. What would your, what would your uh, message be, let me say? I think more than anything, um, I'm very saddened about what's happening in, in Sudan. Mm. Um, because I feel a lot of time um, African leaders have this crazy confusion. Actually, majority mm. of African leaders, if not most of them or all of them, that 
when they're voting in power, they hold the power and not actually thinking it's the other way around. Because a leader is voted by the people to work for the people. And I think every time um, the leaders confuse those two things, they, they start acting as in having this entitlement to power and greed. Mm. And um, hence going ahead and destroying the people and destroying the rights of the people. And to be honest, my message, I think, to the people or any leader out there is to be, um, you have to understand who you work for, mm. power to the people exactly. now and forever, Sounds all like the Bobby time. Sounds like you're like, power to the people. <laughs> now and forever and yeah. all the time. It's yeah. never about you. You've been mm. used again as a tool. It's, it's, it's actually, it's an incredible place that you've been put in to lead you understand, and and I I always hope leaders will be able to honor that and understand how privileged they are to be chosen yeah. um, to lead, and and never ever in doesn't matter which circumstances a leader should ever use power on yeah. the people that choose them, give them the chance to lead ever mm-hmm. like never ever. And I think I, I come from a country that saddens me all the time. It happens. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it happens in Uganda as well with Bobby Wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very sad. And I hope whoever that ever uses the power, be in Congo, be in Sudan right now, they get held accountable for the actions. Yeah, I agree. So in closing, your favorite African dish. My favorite African dish. Uh, and be There's, careful. There are so... Because everybody thinks you belong to their country. So there are don't so just say... so many. Okay. okay. I can't say one. Okay, give me three. Okay. One of them got to be uh, tilapia. Oh my gosh, tilapia. You know, Listen, in, they make the best tilapia in Ghana. I'm sorry. I know. Are you okay? But also, also Congo make, does make. Mm, okay. Yeah. There is a, a good friend of mine here who makes a good one. Okay. Chef Coco. Maybe you know him. I know Chef Coco. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. Like tilapia dipped in like a good tomato sauce and couscous. Yes. And plantain. Yes. That's one dish. Yes. And the staple one that comes from Congo is also um, tomato gravy. A lot of chili yeah. and maize meal pap. Yes. Okay. And a lot of vegetable on the side. Okay. And and I've, I think one is from Eastern, which is like bishima. I don't know beans. It's beans, beans curry, uh, a lot of vegetables and potatoes. So those are my okay. three favorites. You haven't mentioned my toke. Huh? The way he's just ignored you. But, it's but okay. No. Plantain. You guys have plantain too. No, it's my toke is different. It's like savory. Yes, I know my yeah. talker, but my talker came in the second the second part. Where's the beans curry yeah, okay. and potatoes? So just say my and, talker, and my talker. Okay, thank okay. you, my talker. My, my mom actually Binebra, grew up on my talker. T- she grew up on my talker. Okay. And my talker, uh, you're talking about goat meat, right? You have my talker and uh, uh, bread meat. Is like, is like ground nuts yes. sauce. Yes, with yeah, and then you have the yes. Yes. Okay. You see, I know, I know my Ugandan dish. It's good because I was about <laughs> to just go find where your brother is. I tell call people, I say, listen, there's a student at the university in Uganda. Please get him out. They don't even like Ugandan food. <laughs> no, he's he's enjoying it, eh? I'm sure. Yeah, he's the minister of enjoyment. I'm very sure. Yeah, yeah, it's funny if I show you his page. It's funny. It's hilarious. Crazy. But Trezor, it's been so awesome meeting you. Um, and I'm just so excited about your journey. I could speak to you for a long, long, long time, but I do feel that the world is only just starting to get to know who you are. Like it's only the beginning, you know? So it's going to be. Thank you so much. Incredible. Thank you. It's going to be incredible. 
Head to lifepodcasts.fm to find out more on the positive changes people are making on the continent in Africa State of Mind. Subscribe to this podcast at lifepodcasts.fm or on your favorite podcast app. Subscribing to a live podcast is free.